I'm Jeff Ebert, and thanks for joining in my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's Good News for Imperfect People Like You and Me. We're working our way through the Gospel of John, looking at Jesus' teachings and learning some surprising things about what he actually had to say. And today we're going to hear some hard words from Jesus from John 15, 9 through 17. But I'm glad you're here, glad you're joining us for this podcast today. You know, as a species, we are great at making excuses. Uh, People almost instinctively try to justify their actions no matter how outrageous. Listen to these actual statements made on insurance forms by people who had just been in car accidents. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I finally hit him. Well, at least he's persistent, you know. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran him down. Well, now you know how squirrels feel. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and went over an embankment. Well, you can't really blame him for that, man. I mean, that's probably happened to every married man I know. But there's a word for making excuses like that. It's the word rationalization. Choosing to view something from an untrue perspective, particularly if the truth might make you look bad. I think we often use that same kind of rationalization When it comes to our faith in Christ, we don't always live up to what we say we believe. We give lip service to Christian values and principles and a Christian lifestyle, but instead look for short-term solutions. There's kind of a contradiction between what we say we believe and the way we actually live. It's like the nurse who proudly wears her Jesus pin to work and then brutally gossips about other nurses, or the Sunday school teacher who can give a lesson on God's holiness and then on Monday feel no remorse about padding their expense account. Or the preacher who talks about the importance of family values and yet works 80, 90 hours a week and never has time for his or her own family. When faced with problems or tough situations, often we just react randomly without thinking about how faith in Jesus might make a difference in the situation. Sometimes it's just a matter of following the path of least resistance. Whatever seems easiest at the time, that's what I'll do. And I'll just worry about the consequences later. If it's convenient to be honest, then I'll be honest. If it's more convenient to shade the truth, well, then that's what I'll do. The path of least resistance. Rationalization is a slow poison, though, because it eats away at our credibility and at our relationships, both at home and at work. Even our relationship with the Lord. Making excuses all the time damages our basic kind of integrity. Integrity means that all the parts of our lives fit together into a unified whole, that the various pieces of life are integrated and working together. What we say and what we do, they should match up. There's an alignment there. The inner life and the outer life are one and the same. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage for today's podcast, John 15, 9-17. He has a solution for us so that the inner life and the outer life match up. And Jesus ties the solution to how we as his disciples can continue to experience the love of God on a daily basis, how we can have a basic, joyful integrity to our lives. So remember, this is the second half of John 15. It's the night of his arrest. Jesus has now left the upper room with his disciples. It's minus Judas. So he only has the intimate disciples with him now. And they are all walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they pass the vineyards outside the city, Jesus uses that moment to talk about being a fruitful disciple. Jesus is the vine. 
The disciples are the branches, and God the Father is the gardener. The gardener does everything he can to grow healthy grapes. He lifts them when they fall, washes them off, allows the sun and the water access, prunes when necessary for greater fruitfulness. But all this depends on the branches staying attached to the vine for the inflowing of the Holy Spirit into their lives. That's the same uh, message continues right now. So remember, this is not a message for casual followers or fans or Jesus spectators. This is the good stuff. This is for the fruitful disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Jesus begins with a tremendous statement about God's love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. God loves us first, always. God's action and God's love is always previous. He is always ahead of us. We are always the responders to his invitation. And that's a great message that we should all embrace. But it's not the end of the story. God loves me. Yes, that's an amazing revelation, but it's just the preface. The story now gets really exciting. Now that I'm loved by God, how do I continue to experience this love? Earlier in the chapter, Jesus used vines and branches to illustrate our need for this remaining or abiding or staying attached. He repeated words to describe this relationship uh, between Jesus and the disciples. He used remain, abide, live in, dwell, follow through. This means we are to go deeper than just an initial experience of grace. We are to continue in, to persist in, to stay intimately attached to the vine. That's why an emphasis only on getting people to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you know, to raise their hands or walk the aisle or pray the prayer. That's not actually what Jesus wants. He wants disciples, not just converts. And there's a world of difference between the two. A life lived in daily dependence and obedience to the Lord Jesus. That's what he's looking for. Unless you're a gardener or a landscaper, the image of a grapevine and branches may not be something you can immediately relate to as the connection that brings you life. So here's another example. I think about my dad when he was uh, on IVs while he was fighting uh, leukemia. He had all kinds of IVs attached to his arms and bringing the medicine into his body. Being attached gave him life. Or think of when you're on an airplane and the flight attendants give the speech about what happens if the cabin pressure, uh, or you lose your cabin pressure and the mask drop from the ceiling panel. You put your oxygen mask on first so that you can have life-giving air, and then you help others. 
We can only have a deeper relationship with God, a deeper experience of God's love when we stay attached to him. Attachment is what Jesus talks about here. Verses 5 through 10. God is the source. God loves us. Vines and branches illustrate this attachment. He describes this attachment as remain, abide, live, dwell, go deeper. And so my point is, is that Jesus wants his followers to go beyond just an initial experience of faith. He points to continuing in, persisting in, an ongoing daily awareness of Christ. To Jesus, this is essential for growth. Here's another image of attachment I just thought of. An astronaut orbiting the Earth attached to the space shuttle by that long white umbilical cord. It is very literally his lifeline. So attachment to Christ is not optional for growing Christians. It's absolutely essential. How do I stay attached? Jesus' answer is simple and sort of scary at the same time. If you obey me, you will remain attached to me. But then the opposite is also true. If you don't obey me, you won't stay attached to me. Ouch, we don't like to hear that. Jesus says our growth in him is tied to our obedience. Now, people have a funny way of rationalizing Christ's commands. Giving enough time and circumstances, people are able to justify almost anything, whether it's about money or sex or ethics, you name it. We become very creative in how we can get around the clear meaning of Scripture. In fact, American humorist Mark Twain once said that most people are bothered by those Scripture passages which they cannot understand. But for me, the passages of Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. You see, the Bible is not really all that difficult to understand. What's difficult is surrendering our will and obeying what Jesus commands. But Jesus tells us straight out, experiencing his deeper love is connected to our obedience. Now, this is something Jesus emphasized many times back in John 14, 5. If you love me, you will obey what I command. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 1 John 2, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 1 John 5, verses 3 through 5. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, all of these are sobering words. So why does John, particularly in his writings, put such an emphasis on obedience? Well, here's where a little church history, I think, helps. Because in the early church, there was a faction arose that were called the antinomians. Antinomians. It means no law, anti-nomos, no law. The group focused exclusively on God's grace. I mean, how could that be a bad thing, you wonder? Only grace, that's all they preached, 100% grace. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to believe? Uh, But the antinomians, they go one step too far by saying, God loves us so we can live any way we want. God loves us so no matter what we do, 
God will still forgive us. Grace is a free ticket to paradise. So since we've got our free ticket, there's no reason for restraint, no reason for guilt, no reason for rules or morality of any kind. You can just party hardy. Um, God's going to love you anyway. Well, you know, the most dangerous counterfeit $20 bills are the ones that look and feel the most like the real one. Just a little flaw, and it takes a pretty trained eye to see it. There are lots of modern-day antinomians, a lot of counterfeit gospel, where preachers water down Christ's commands, or they don't take his commands too seriously. Some would say we've grown beyond the scope of biblical morality. We're more sophisticated and intelligent than those people who wrote the Bible. God just loves everybody, so go ahead and do what you want. And so people go to extraordinary lengths to bend God's clear commandments, become quite creative in how to get around, how to get around the clear meaning of Scripture. And given enough time or circumstances, even folks who claim to be Christian are able to justify almost anything. Imagine this kind of a situation. A father tells his son, go to bed. The son, with his pseudo-spirituality, says to himself, Dad tells me to go to bed. But what he really means is that I'm tired and he doesn't want me to be tired. And, but I think I can overcome my tiredness just as well if I go outside and play. Therefore, what my dad really wants me to do is to go outside and play. Well, what happens when uh, the kid tries that logic on his father? Not, not going over very too well. Yet people do that all the time with God, assuming that there's some higher good out there that allows me to break with the clear teaching and meaning of Scripture. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who coined the phrase cheap grace to describe this kind of rationalization. Cheap grace is a grace that doesn't take Jesus' call to discipleship seriously. Cheap grace is a grace without obedience and without sacrifice. It's an attitude that's really an insult to God. Cheap grace takes advantage of God's graciousness and tries to use it to allow or justify sinful behavior. We can't ignore Jesus' clear commands to follow him with obedience. Grace does not cancel out the need for faithful living. The whole book of Galatians was written really to address this situation, to rightly understand the role of the law and grace at work in the life of a disciple. But Jesus always ties the two together. Faithful living is what proves whether or not we have actually experienced God's grace. They're inseparable. Grace and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Bonhoeffer writes, We can achieve perfect liberty and enjoy fellowship with Jesus when his commands, his call to absolute discipleship, is appreciated in its entirety. Only when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly will we find his yoke easy and his burden light, and under its gentle pressure receive power to persevere. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who try to resist it. And obedience never lies without, within our own power. But Jesus asks nothing of us without giving us the strength to perform it. That's from Cost of Discipleship. So rather than seeing obedience as a new form of legalism, we should see it as the doorway to liberation. Obedience is not a negative word. Obedience to God gives quality and richness to life. Obedience brings an insatiable God hunger that will make a person dissatisfied with anything less. Obedient Christians are not people without problems, just people who have learned to approach their problems in a more godly way. Imperfectly, to be sure, we're never going to do it 100% of the time. We still live under grace, and we need it. 
But those who abide, those who remain, those who are attached, and those who have taken Christ's attitudes and model his actions, understanding that God has our highest joy and our highest good in mind. I think a lot of Christians don't really believe this. Instead, they believe the world's lies that they'll find pleasure and satisfaction, not in what God says, but in what the world has to offer. And so we see a parade of broken dreams and broken homes and broken relationships. Nobody ever stayed awake at night worrying, gosh, I was honest today. I hope nobody finds out. But there are plenty of sleepless nights over dishonesty and disobedience to God. Jesus goes on to say in verse 11 that we are chosen for joy, chosen for love, chosen to be his friends. He says his disciples were first called slaves. You know, the Greek word is doulos for servant or slave, but it's not a title of shame. In Jewish tradition, it's actually in some ways a title of respect. I mean, Moses was called the servant of God, Deuteronomy 34.5. Joshua was called the servant of God, Joshua 24.29. David was called the servant of God in Psalm 89 verse 20. Paul used it in Titus 1.1 and James 1.1. It was as though Jesus was saying, great people have been called servants, God's slaves. But I have something even better in mind for you. For you are more than slaves. You are my friends. Wow. Jesus offers that kind of intimacy with himself and with God, an intimacy the disciples never dreamed of. And that call extends down the ages to us right now. Today he calls us to be his friends and to be friends of God. What a tremendous offer. Called to be partners with him. He's chosen us to go out and bear fruit for him. We're his agricultural partners. He holds nothing back from his friends. He said, everything the Father has given me, I give to you. I mean, wow. Unrestricted access to the Father. But look at what he says about this level of connection. You are my friends if you do as I command. If we want to continue to experience the love, the affection of Jesus, then our lives must be surrendered to his control. Our love for him compels us to willingly serve. If you really love someone, you want to do what will make the relationship stronger. It's not a chore. It's not an obligation. It brings you pleasure to do things that make the relationship better. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. In serving him, we find out that he gives us joy, and he elevates us to the level of his personal, intimate friends. Okay, now that I know this, now that I know I should, but how do I do it? Well, here are a few ideas. First, first, focus on loving Christ more, not on the legalism. The more you seek to obey God, the more you're going to become aware of just how sinful and rebellious you really are. If you try to obey God through a sense of legalism, you're going to fail every time. It's not legalism, but loving Jesus. Our prayer shouldn't be, God, help me obey you, but God, help me love you. I think of Luther's phrase, love God and then do as you please. If you're loving God more, obedience will be the natural consequence. And next, remember the question, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. So don't think about obeying Christ for the rest of your life. Think about a single day. Think of it as a building block with which you are building the tower of your life. Just as a stonemason, I can put only one brick in place at a time. 
So you can only live one day at a time. And the way those stones are placed will then determine the strength and the beauty of the tower. If each stone is successfully placed, the tower will be straight and strong. If bricks are laid in a haphazard way, the whole tower will be crooked and in danger of collapse. This is the way a skyscraper, a home, a relationship, a human life, a faith is built. One successful day at a time. But one brick out of place may have serious consequences later on. It may have to be corrected. Some rebuilding work may have to be done. One day at a time, handled obediently, will carry you over any hurdle. So pray and say, Lord, help me to love you and to obey you today. Third, what happens when you stumble and fall? Not if you stumble, but when. Because we're not going to do it perfectly. Get up. Just get up. Fall down seven times. Get up eight, as they say. Get up and keep going. When you fail, don't give excessive time to mourning and wallowing all over it and beating yourself up. It's going to happen. Don't take excessive time mourning over your failures and beating yourself up. True repentance is important. But if guilt leads to kind of a paralysis and haunts you, that kind of guilt's not from God. God's guilt leads you to repentance. Uh, guilt that paralyzes you and haunts you after you've confessed to the Lord, that's not a godly guilt. Once you have trusted Christ to forgive you, forgive what, what happened. This is not yesterday, it is now. Will you obey God now, this day, or will you can continue to be trapped by your past failures? Remember, his power is available to you today, and his forgiveness is available to you today and all, for all your yesterdays. So when facing a particular point of obedience in your life, what should you do? Well, here's one practical area. Just find a quiet place and take a sheet of paper and just write the two words, no and Lord, in big letters. It is possible to say the word no, and it is possible to say the word Lord. But for the disciple who is attached to the vine, it is not possible to say no, Lord. To say no to God is to remove his inflow into your life. It's to remove that air mask. It's to pull out the IV. If the two words are written on a piece of paper next to each other, you must either cross out the word no or cross out the word Lord. The choice is yours. For the fruitful believer, there's no such thing as following the Lord halfway. If you love me, you will obey me. Well, those aren't my words. Those are Jesus's words. If you obey me, my commands, if you obey my commands, you will remain in me, you will live in me, you will prosper in my love. Obedience is the pathway to greater connection with Christ and to greater joy in life. And I hope that's your experience this coming year. God bless.